Hey everyone, I believe that gratitude has been such an instrumental part of making my own recovery and life better that I want to create something called the Gratitude Zone. And what this is, is I would love for you, the listener, to send me a two to three minute audio clip letting me know who you are, what it is you do, what you're grateful for, and why. And then we're going to be posting it on future episodes of The Road Beyond Recovery. Feel free to send that to Tamar at theroadforward.ca, and there will be more information in the show notes. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey everyone, welcome back to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. My name's Tamar, your host, and I'm so grateful that you're here today. Now, I wanted to do something a little different uh, for my gratitude today, And I wanted to give a shout out to one of my friends, Lane Kennedy from the Connected Calm Life podcast. And the reason why I'm grateful for Lane is that I was actually introduced to her through Adam Shively, who is my podcast coach. And if you haven't checked out his stuff, he is on podcasting business school. So if you are a podcaster and you want to grow your podcast, little shout out to Adam as well because he has made some incredible, incredible connections and Lane is one of them. And the reason why I'm grateful for Lane is that I've met somebody and I've met so many people, but when you meet someone who is in recovery, who has a very similar vision than you do and who geeks out over neuroscience, right? The same stuff that I do, but we do two totally different things, right? She focuses more on the mindfulness aspect, whereas I focus more on the science and the theory. And we have started working together. We've got a masterclass series, uh, Change Your Brain on Clubhouse. So you should come check that out. And it's recorded, so the recordings are up. It's in the big shift room. And we're also doing a a mini series that is going to be a course. And it's so much good stuff. It just lights me up. And I am just incredibly grateful for that connection because it just aligns so much with my own purpose. And she has supported me, you know, not only in my recovery journey by showing me the way, right, by living a life that I would like to live as well, and I'm living, Uh, but also just in the space that we work, right, and I get to watch what she does, and I get to just follow along, right, and it's so cool. So Lane Kennedy, I'm giving you a shout out. I am incredibly grateful for you today, and for those of you who have not heard the podcast, make sure you go check her out wherever you listen to podcasts. And that is the Connected Calm Life podcast with Lane Kennedy.
Now, speaking of someone else in recovery, another cool connection that I made today on the episode, I'm chatting with my friend, Matt Seafeld from my LifeLink app. And you got to check this app out. I'm going to have all the information in the show notes. But on this interview, we talk about Matt's upbringing, right? How he had a really great upbringing and also what led to his own addiction. We talk about how that went when he hit his rock bottom. We talk about controlling your actions and not your outcomes. And we also get to chat about the app in general. And it's such a cool app. It's he created a space where you can not only go and have fellowship meetings, but you can also practice, you know, meditation, there's fitness on there. And so basically you have everything that you need to have that support in recovery, to stay clean and sober in one easy to use app on your phone. And guess what? It's absolutely free, which is super, super cool. Uh, So go check that out. But I can't wait for you to hear Matt's story. I'm looking forward to doing some stuff in the future with Matt. And I just love how he is, again, bringing the community together because sometimes it's tough to get out, especially in the world we live in today. So he has made it super simple. Uh, But go check out the app and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back. We are hanging out with Matt Seafeld. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. It's uh, what, two days before Turkey Day. So Ooh. two days before gluttony. <laughs> <laughs> we had our we had our gluttony about a month ago because we're up in Canada. So we just get to experience what you guys are going through now. We've already been right. there. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance we have to eat food and not exercise, right? That's that's what we do well down here. <laughs> exactly. We do it just as good up here. So we have any chance we want to celebrate, <laughs> which goes in perfectly what we're going to talk about, <laughs> right, is recovery. So why don't you give us a quick intro of who you are and what you do today, just to give our guests an idea of, you know, who's Matt? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, I've got an identical twin brother. I usually start with that because that kind of gets into the highly competitive uh nature of my upbringing uh grew up in a a great home in northern california loving parents uh got a younger brother uh, as well you know went through high school was an athlete went through college was an athlete you know didn't really look outside of myself yet for substances to numb my anxiety and my emotions that have been you know disrupted really since childhood early childhood which i'm sure we'll get into a lot of that um, you know, in terms of career-wise, I went right into healthcare consulting. I've been in healthcare now, software development and services for over 20 years. Um, I'm a senior exec with a, uh, actually, with a company out, uh, out of Little Rock, Arkansas. Although I do live in San Diego, California, so I think it's, although it's colder, I, I'm not going to. With someone from Canada, I'm not going to say how cold it is because you'd probably laugh at me. <laughs> You know, Thank you. but it's about, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're like, get the take the park off, dude. It's 61 degrees. <laughs> but, um, you know, I went through corporate America, you know, something I saw my father do. I really emulated my dad and you know, what he was able to provide for our family. And uh, I jumped right in. You know, and, you know, one of the things, which is a big part of my story, is I discovered alcohol. Uh, really out of doing business deals, right? It's like you look at the way we've commercialized the alcohol experience. It's like after a long day of work, you deserve this. You know, flying home in first class on a Thursday after a long week on a client site, you deserve this. And and unfortunately, some of us, 
discovered alcohol actually was a great way to deal with uh, unexpressed anxiety. You know, now, my entire life, I, I wake up every morning and I still do today. I have to be really careful and I play for anxiety. Right. I wake up and I go out in the world to try to find how I'm going to become anxious, how I'm going to worry. I was that kid who who was constantly worrying about things, you know, and I had little ticks and my mom would call it call me out. I'm sure some of your listeners listeners will, will resonate here. Um, I threw myself into sports, really. And I always threw myself into like the most high profile positions, which I think is ironic for a kid that had such anxiety. You know, I was the pitcher. I was the quarterback. I was. I would, I was the head leading the play, but it's like, and then it's, you know, go right into corporate America and then start your own company. It's like for a guy who plays for anxiety, you would have thought I want to just kind of hang back <laughs> in the world, you know, and not, not really be main stage. But I also think that's part of growing up in the, with an identical twin is it's, is it's trying to, it's, it's really never feeling good enough. Like I'm not good enough, right? I'm never good enough. I need to be better than him. I need to be better than others. And so I would innately do that, but it would in turn create, create more anxiety for me. So alcohol really was the, the start to my um, whole journey down addiction. You know, high school wasn't important to me. I was an athlete in college. So I mean, I was in a fraternity, but you know, the few times I remember getting drunk, you know, I probably in hindsight said, you know, I didn't drink like other people. You know, you hear that a lot of times in the rooms of AA. But it wasn't uh, an issue, really. But, you know, within five years of my career starting, uh, it started to really impact my life. And, 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 you know, the other big, big challenge I ran into is I've had surgeries done and I ended up becoming one of those statistics. Well, I wasn't a statistic, but I was one of those folks who got hooked on prescription pain meds. So for those of you who are aware of Purdue Pharmaceuticals and Oxycontin and misleading doctors. And I just finished that, that great series on Hulu called Dope Sick. I highly recommend any of your viewers to watch that. Although I will tell you, uh, I could only watch about half of an episode a night because it was so emotional because I, I've been there. You know, I think that's one thing I want your listeners who are trying to get into recovery or are in recovery to understand is that I've been exactly to where you are. You've been. Uh, and I've had to crawl myself out of hell. Know, put mm -hmm. myself back together and we'll get into more of my story i'm sure as we progress to the podcast but opiates is definitely was a was a part of my story i stopped drinking because i was taking prescription medication and you know i think the only saving grace for me was i never i was too much of a wimp i guess to ever go outside of my prescription so i was the guy for over five years who would withdraw about a week to two a month uh, that was my thing. I would go through my prescription too fast. I would withdraw for 10 days and then I'd get refilled. That's a really terrible existence. And it's a lot of trauma to your brain. Is, 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 and and I, I often wonder what those five years could have been like had I not gone down this path. But had I not gone down that path, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. So, so right. I, I do believe that everything's happened the way it's supposed to happen uh, with intent. And, and I've, I'm no longer focused on self-will in my life. And, you know, you said a, a whole bunch that resonated with me. First of all, I think, you know, that we were talking about before the interview, right? Sometimes people go to get help and they can't relate to what other people are saying, right? They can't relate to that, the part of the journey where they might've been institutionalized. They've, you know, they've gone through the, the system. Um, they've gone through rehab facilities. They were homeless. For me, that wasn't my story, right? And when I share, like when I first came into recovery, I looked around the room and thought, I'm not like you people, right? And I think that can stop a lot of people from getting help because we do this comparison thing. 
but reverting back to your upbringing, I mean, just like myself, I was in a very loving home, right? I did not have any substantial amount of trauma, although we all go through trauma because there's things, there's shifts in our lives, right? Um, and the experiences, and we take those with us into our future. And then we have these, you know, ongoing bad, unhealthy, well, not bad, but unhealthy behaviors or habits. And you have the same thing, right? Your upbringing was a very loving family. It was your inability to handle your emotions. So can you talk a little bit more about like what that part of your journey was like? And, you know, that that first time you drank, like what that part was like? Because I think that's really important for people trying to understand that we all have different paths that we've taken to get to this spot today. Absolutely. Look, I mean, when I, I've, and I've done quite a bit of emotional sobriety work over the last year, and I highly recommend that's a lot of stuff that you do. Um, and I highly recommend that to all your, 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 your listeners, because you have to understand the why I reached for something outside of myself to begin with. Right. And so for me, it was alcohol. But let's be honest, let's look at maladaptive behavioral addictions, right? I'm addicted to exercise. I'm still addicted to exercise to, to a fault. You know, I'm addicted to ego at times. I'm addicted to workaholism, right? So it doesn't have to be a physical substance. It could be a behavior that we do. And the key that I'm starting to learn in my life is that if you take that thing away, does your bridge start to break, right? If, if all of a sudden I got injured and I couldn't exercise for a month, what happens to Matt, you know? So you have to be really, really careful when you're trying to distract yourself from feeling with anything, right? And so, you know, when I grow when I was growing up, you know, I had a very, very highly successful father. Uh, he wasn't around a ton. He, he traveled a lot internationally. I had an identical twin, so hyper-competitive in sports, hyper-competitive in school, hyper-competitive in girls, you know, when, when we became of age, right? I mean, it was like anything we could compete with, and we still do today. We kind of joke passively, aggressively that, <laughs> oh, yeah, we don't compete anymore, but it's like, yeah. I do compete still. And, he's, and he won't admit it. He's like, yeah, I still compete with you. But uh, he's, you know, one of my best friends. He's in recovery too. He's a, he's a physician and he's found his journey. And, and, and so we, we have a lot in common there. But look, you know, growing up in that kind of household can create a lot of anxiety um, for anybody, you know, and I just allowed it in. And, you know, it's interesting. I was, I met with a therapist. This was before I ended up going into treatment. Um, and he used to say, it's harder, it's easier for you to throw yourself into anxiety in the morning than for you to sit with yourself for 10 minutes to meditate. The reason you go straight to your phone to look at what email's blowing up or what distra distraction, because mm -hmm. sitting with yourself is, is, is too difficult. And, and so when we, I also had a therapist, a, therapist in two, a psychiatrist in 2008 tell me that I had created the match show. I mean, still to this day, I, I respect Dr. Uh, Garman greatly, even though, he wasn't able to quite, I wasn't ready yet to understand where I was headed. And back then I was really starting that, that alcoholic spiral down. But the match show is the way I set myself up. People pleasing, codependency, uh, always making sure everybody else is taken care of, not focusing, you know, uh, on where I needed to be emotionally. And so, it, you know, when I would have conversations with people trying to anticipate, am I going to hurt your feelings based on what I'm going to say? And do I need to adjust my messaging? Like that's a terrible, first of all, the human brain is complex. But to try to like process that, and by the way, I'm also an active alcoholic at the time. No idea, you know? And, and so now it's like, I look at life and it's, I, I use the term easy. I don't mean life is easy. Is it, I approach things with much more ease. 
now than I did uh, before. And, and part of that too is also just surrendering to, for me, it's a higher power, is knowing that, look, I don't know when I'm gonna exit stage left. I'm grateful that I'm here today with you. I don't know what the rest of the day brings and I'm not gonna worry about it. And frankly, what happened yesterday happened yesterday, you know? And, and so I do approach that. And I think it's really, really important for, um, for anyone in early recovery, especially during those first couple of years where you've got a lot of post-acute withdrawal syndrome going on, depending on you know, what your drug of choice or alcohol pills, um, it, that's where, you know, that's where people can get into trouble if they don't recognize that this isn't just a light switch. You know, I wished when I had turned the light switch, like I'm ready to get help, you know, and that was in January of 2018 that I would just miraculously be cured. But I remember talking to my therapist at Betty Ford. I went out to the Rancho uh, Mirage at Betty Ford Center for, for my treatment. And she said, eight months from now, you're going to be a different person. I said, you're no way. I'm still kind of withdrawing from opiates. I'm clouded. You know, I'm not healthy. I'm, you know, out of shape. And I'm like, there's no way. You know what? About eight months later, I remember thinking, like, "Holy shit, my life has changed." You know, it changed without me me obsessing about it, mm-hmm. and it continues to change and evolve. And it's, it, it, um, but for me, you know, it's it's also getting into service work. You know, and, and we'll talk later on in the show around the my life link piece. But um, I do see a major flaw. I see major flaws in the way that we treat addiction here in the U.S. and frankly abroad too. You know, and I think yeah. you can probably relate to Canada, but I have enough friends in. Uh, Europe and, and other countries that, that we all have the same problem, right, is, is if you can afford it, you can go to treatment, right? Um, treatment is focused so much on just getting you through those 28 days on the inpatient side, right? Nobody talks about the transition back to the world. They try to. They say, well, what are you going to do when you get out? Hey, try this outpatient program. But, 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 you know, go to some meetings, but, but where's the transition? Like, where's the actual transition plan? Like I'm in a corporate America. Like I don't just go implement software and say, here you go, guys. I hope it works for you. Right. I mean, we spend months like looking at current process flows and then looking at the software and how we're going to have to change people and process to align with the technology, all that stuff. Where, where's that in rehab? Yeah. You know, and, and the other issue I have is that this one size fits all the, the, we, you know, we, we look at a lot of data through, through the app. Uh, you know, that's provided by the consumer, right? It's self, self-reported, self which is awesome because you're never going to get this stuff coming out of an electronic health record, I can tell you that. But it's amazing to see how complex uh, the individual is, right? This isn't just about I'm an alcoholic, right? I'm an alcoholic. I've been separated from my wife. I'm a father. I'm a coach. I have anxiety disorder. I have a mood disorder. Uh, I have neuropathy. I have dyspro- right? I mean, you start to go through traumas. And all of a sudden, it's no longer just that I'm an alcoholic. It's I'm a really complex person that discovered alcohol as a way to cope with un, uh, with emotions. So how do you treat that? You know, you can't treat that in 28 days. They're just trying to move you through. You know, and you can't treat that in an AA room because if you do raise your hand, you get three minutes. And if you talk about anything, no offense to AA, but anything outside of alcohol, you, you can get shushed out of the room. Yeah. So where's those meetings? You know, where 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 does that 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 help? you know, began. Um, and it's, 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 it, it's been having now gone through it firsthand. It's been challenging, but also with entrepreneurship, it's an opportunity to make a change, right? Make a change yeah. for the better because the stuff that's working that may have worked back in the thirties and forties, that was very singular is not, and that's, you know, in the 1900s, that's not 
the way the world is today, right? We're connected yeah. all the time. So we have to evolve the ways we treat uh, people that are afflicted with physical, you know, emotional and maladaptive behavioral addiction. Mm -hmm. And so much of what you said, again, resonated with me because I was telling you that, you know, I've just started working through what codependency looks like in my life and going through the 12 steps and realizing, wow, I knew there was codependency in there, but I did not realize how much. And there's so many layers, like, you know, my, um, you know, working on my, my alcohol addiction and drug addiction was one thing and food addiction, right? I had the same thing too, the exercise, like before I got sober, I actually was all into fitness, right? Health and fitness. I was addicted to that. Um, I was addicted to entrepreneurship when I started. So I'm trying to find that balance and I could relate to, you know, getting up in the morning and right away want to jump into work. And it's like, oh, but I have to meditate for 10 minutes. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do as soon as I've done that meditation. So there's so much to this. So I loved how you highlighted that now in your own addiction, you know, for you, and we'll talk about the recovery side and the app after, but what, when did you hit that point when you realized, okay, I have a problem. I need to stop. Yeah. So it's interesting is, is there's, there's the recognition phase and then there's the reality phase. And so I recognized the problem in 2000 and late 2006, 2007, I just moved back from Atlanta to San Diego. I was starting my first company. Uh, obviously, that brought a lot of stress along with the recession, which was unplanned for and all that. So, I mean, there was definitely a lot of stressors and lots of good reasons to drink. But I, it was already starting to impact my my life back then. And I wasn't married at the time. Uh, Laura, who's my, my wife, she's a wonderful individual. How she's stuck through this with me shows a testament of her. Um, but the really, really the opiates. When I got uh, hooked on the prescription medication, that's really where alcohol kind of took it back seat. And that worked actually for a couple of years. I was, but, but what it was interesting is I was just taking those pills to get rid of the mental health side, right? I mean, I took, if I took a narco, I all of a sudden could have conversations like this. I could be charming, right? I'm in sales. I could go close deals, you know? I could, I could walk through Disneyland and not be annoyed with my kids. I could go to the wild animal park and not be good, right? What's ironic is I do all those things now and more, and I'm more excited and more happy about it sober than I ever was on pills. But 2015 was, was really my, my physical bottom. Um, I had left my wife. I had left a four-year-old boy. I had left a four-month-old boy. I moved out of the house, complete. I mean, I... I won't go down all of my stories of driving across the border and blackouts to Mexico. And I mean, all, all this stuff you hear about, like, you know, I make the joke nowadays where if somebody asked me if I could have a beer, I say, yeah, I could, but I like you and I have plans for Christmas, you know, and they're kind of looking at me like, I don't know what that means. I said, just trust me. If I had one beer, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. You're not going to be my friend anymore. And I may end up, who knows where I'll end up, right? When it is to stop. So, so I actually ended up in my physical, and this, that was the first time in my career that I actually got called out by my boss. I was running uh, international sales for a company. And that fall, a good friend of mine who was a CEO, he said, look, I don't know. I, I think I know what's going on. You know, you're calling in to work. You're, you're not showing up. You're not, you're not where you need to be. I think you need, you know, you need help, obviously. So in January of 16, I actually started going to AA. I, I left my job. Um, I was still separated. You know, we had uh, not not tried to put the family back together or anything. Um, I was involved in my boy's life, but it was not like, you know, a, a father needs to be. 
And I got almost six months of sobriety. But what I was doing was I was over-exercising and I was using AA as my, that was it, my thing, right? I just was addicted to AA. I wasn't working at the time, you know? So I just threw myself into exercise and AA. And what ended up happening to me, and this is something that's really important for your listeners, is, is that you have to look, when you, when you are ready to get sober, you have to get a health assessment. And by that, I mean, you really need all your labs run, okay? I'm not going to go down all the detail there, but I was actually, I had blown all of my hormones, my adrenals, my cortisol was messed up. So here's a 38, 39-year-old male, healthy, or perceived to be a healthy male, who's falling asleep at 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, my psychiatrist told me, you know, instead of checking all these things and suggesting lifestyle changes and such, she put me on uh, Adderall. Now, as an addict, sign me up, right? And I'm telling you right now, for any of your listeners that have gone down that route, you know, you know, which is all precursor to methamphetamine, that stuff will, will take you down as fast as it possibly can. And so I've lost my sobriety in June of that year. And uh, ended up abusing that for another probably three or four months. And then I just went through about 18 months of just spiritual health, you know, sober for a few months, back on this, drink, sober, nothing really quality in my life whatsoever. Wasn't really a a productive member of society or selfless in any ways because I had no capability of being it. Ended up in a bad relationship with, ironic, another alcoholic, you know. So what happens, right? What we, what we do. So my spiritual bottom, though, my spiritual bottom was January 4th, 2018, when I woke up at 3, 2.30 in the morning uh, in a panic and called a phone number and the lady on the other end answered. I don't remember calling the number. I don't even know how I even knew the number to call, but it was the intake coordinator of Betty Ford. So I must have the day before been looking at it. And she answered. And two days later, my separated soon-to-be ex-wife, or at the time soon-to-be ex-wife, was driving me out to Betty Ford to start this this journey. I wasn't, it's funny, I always, I make the joke, although it's probably not that funny, was I was the only sober person in detox, because I actually hadn't been drinking or using, so, but my spirit, my spirit was gone. Like, there was nothing left to map, you know? The physical being was still there. I was still there. I was walking around and I could talk, but the spirituality was gone. And so, people think, and it's just about physical bottom. Like, I just hope he hits his bottom. It's actually physical bottom is actually the easy part. It's hidden the spiritual bottom where you now recognize that my life is worth living. My life is, is has purpose because when you're in the throes of addiction, you can't get out of that hell. There's, there's nothing. It's, it's, it's going minute by minute. How do I get this pill? What if I run out? Where's my next drink? What if somebody catches me? There's so much energy that goes into the lifestyle of us addicts that if we can actually turn that addict brain into something progressive and get hyper-focused on purpose, we do amazing things. And you've seen that through the test of time. I mean, go pick all of these amazing addicts who've done amazing things in art and humanities and sports. And, you know, is you can do that. You can take the same brain that got us into trouble and you can actually... Uh, you can actually turn it into something productive. But that was it. You know, I, I, I spent my month out there. Uh, I came out with a new purpose. And, you know, here I am today. You know, a big part of my sobriety has been what I've, I've done in the recovery community and what I'll continue to spend the balance of my life doing. But a huge part of my recovery is service work. Mm-hmm. I really, whether it's coaching teams, my sons, uh, whatever it is, whatever I can do, 
for somebody else, not me, brings esteem to me, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's nice to see those, those things, you know, the, uh, Laura and I got back together about a year after I got out of treatment. Uh, the boys are wonderful. I mean, Jax is seven. My son, Luke is almost going to turn 11 next month. Um, I just can't imagine not, not having that, that family unit together. I know that's not the story for a lot of folks. A lot of folks, those bridges have been burned and it ended up in divorce, but but we have to recognize as addicts that every single thing that happens in the sequence that it happened was for their reason. And that was directed by something other than yourself. You know, we may believe that we're the director, but we're not the director. And I don't really care, you know, God, Yahweh, Allah, a football, the ocean, the wind, the rain. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Just put your faith in something other than yourself. Yeah. And pick that thing, right? Um, because that's that's really what, what has to get to. When I did my consequence timeline at Betty Ford, the nice thing, by the way, about going into rehabs sober is you can really get all, you could do everything. Like my counselor's like, I'm, every exercise that I would, I would give to, I'm like, you have to do it all. And you better do everything with 100% effort. And I remember doing my timeline where you had to go literally back to when it all started and then the consequences and you're dropping it in. And there was a lot of consequence, a lot of things that I hadn't even recognized, you know, but I also recognized that that had to happen. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the father I am today, the husband I am today, the employee that I am today, the entrepreneur that I am today, if all those bad things hadn't happened to me in the order that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's a hard thing when you're right there and you're in the throes of addiction, it's almost impossible to, to, to make that connection, but that's where the spiritual bottom comes in. And yeah. I, I see this all the time where somebody's, you know, I have a good friend of mine ended up in the ER again, had a blood transfusion. His alcoholism will kill him if he doesn't make a change, but he's not there yet spiritually. Mm-hmm. Physically he's there. He's like, Oh my God, I got to stop this. But spiritually he's not there. So like I always when I'm on the news and stuff, I always say, I wish there was a pill that would accelerate someone's spiritual body. I'm like, hey, take this. Okay, good. You're good. <laughs> but there's not, right? That has to come from within. The, it's ironic to me that the same stuff from within, which drove us to reach for substances and maladaptive behavior to numb out our emotions and our feelings, is the same thing you have to grapple, grab onto, and, and have faith in, in purpose. Mm-hmm. If you don't have purpose, in life, then the life's not worth living, you know, that purpose can be anything, you know? Yeah. And our purpose evolves as well. I mean, I, I love that you talk about the spiritual bottom because for me, that physical bottom was when I I was in my mid twenties, I had smoked crack for the first time. I ended up in places that I thought, how can a person like me be sitting here right now, smoking crack with all these people? I had no idea who they were. I got hooked on, had a back injury, got pills, right? I was like, giddy up, right? My world is like three months off of work. I'm getting paid from the government, like bring it on. And that was really my physical bottom. Like I knew something had to change, but I kept going on until the age of 36, right? Mm -hmm. When I was finally spiritually bankrupt, right? I was 215 pounds, unhappily married, severely depressed, you know, bankrupt actually in, you know, real bankrupt. And I had nothing left to give, right? And so in recovery, I remember it was the whole higher power thing, right? I'm like, nope, not doing that. Like there's no, God's never been there for me, but I realized that whatever's out there looking for us, right? Looking out for us, I would be dead 
if I wasn't meant to be here because we talked about that, right? It's like all these things that probably should have happened to us didn't happen. And I really look at my experience going through addiction and what I went through as a gift, right? It's a gift now that I can use to help others. Like you talked about service work. So for you, what would you say was really the key to your own recovery and, it, and it's sticking this time? Yeah, well, well, for one, it's, it's, it's recognizing that life can be wonderful without a substance in my system, right? I can experience the Disneylands and the stress of an airport and all those things, and I don't have to numb myself out to it. Feeling's okay. It's okay to feel, right? And, and I'm also starting to try to, trying to teach my sons the same thing is that, you know, I had a, uh, one of my sons was called a name. And, you know, he's very upset, my seven-year-old, very upset, you know, he's starting to cry. He was on the soccer field. And I said, he, he didn't make you cry. He didn't make you upset. You made yourself upset. You, you took what he said to you. That's just what, that's the reality is he said what he said. You chose to interpret that a certain way, right? Of course, he's seven. So, but I, 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 well, my point is that trying to give my, my children things that my parents never did, right? Nobody talked about alcoholism in my family. And yet we have generations of it. Still do. Nobody talk, talked about any of that, right? And, and nobody talked about mental health. Multiple, you know, my, my grandmother killed herself. My uncle killed himself. Uh, lots of suicide, right? Nobody wanted to talk about that, right? Everybody is like almost this generation of, you know, let's just not talk about it and it'll be okay. This generation now, I'm like, I'm telling you everything. I mean, like, you're going to hear everything from me. You can choose. You have choice, but you can choose. You, you know what really was the turning point for me is, when I got out of Betty Ford, the, the day I was discharging, the uh, discharge coordinator sat me down and handed me a piece of paper and said, uh, give this guy a call, Bob F. I said, okay, why? Well, he's an alumni of Betty Ford. He lives in San Diego. And I said, well, is he sober? And she goes, I hope so. And I said, well, what does he do for a living? Will I relate to this guy? I don't know. I said, well, what hobbies does he like? Could I go, so I'm a surfer. Could I go surf and talk recovery with him? Wow, those would all be really, really cool things to know. And I said, really? This is, this is, this is, I just spent a ridiculous amount of money. My insurance company spent a ridiculous amount of money on you. And all I get is a piece of paper. So hence my life link evolved because I'm like, how can we go find our ideal spouse on an eHarmony or a match.com or our ideal car on a cars.com? But where's the addict.com? Where can I go find surfers in San Diego who've had a history of alcoholism and opiates, who also have some mental health issues, who also have similar traumas? They're everywhere, but how do you find them, All right? And that's really was the precursor to why I created my lifelink because I wanted to have a virtual framework for people to have a softer entry into recovery. And you know, I talked about that before the show. Is it not feeling like you have to walk into a meeting to get into recovery? A lot, that's a barrier for a lot of people, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a barrier for me. I, I went to my first AA meeting in 2012. No, I'm sorry. Actually, yeah, it was about 2012. And then I never went back. But I, I knew at the time, I, everything I heard in that first meeting as a beginner's meeting, I'm like, oh, yeah, it sounds a lot like me. And I was sitting there withdrawing from alcohol and, and all scatterbrain. But but that's really that was really the big piece to me was was we, we can't find each other easy enough, right? In this day and age, we're always connected too, to our phones. So so whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, that's a whole different podcast we could talk about, about <laughs> that piece. But um, the other thing was the accountability of what I do for self and others. Okay, so what do I do throughout the day? So when I log into the app every morning, I set my intentions. What do I intend to do today, right? Tell my story, right? I checked that box this morning because I'm sharing my story with you, right? Exercise, you know, be of service to others, whatever that is, you know, what do you plan to do? 
And then throughout the day, how do you track the things that you're doing, right? Because if I'm exercise or I share my story, let the community see that. Maybe that'll inspire them to in turn start exercising and in turn share their stories, right? And so you start to build that accountability uh, between what you do for yourself and what you do to others. And then it's really the content piece. Like, you know, why do we have to sign up for a thousand different apps to have access to meditations and access to, you know, stretching and fitness workouts and virtual meetings? Like it's, it's, it's crazy, right? So we've pumped a lot of that stuff through the app. So it's just a click of a way, whether you want to join a meeting, we have the My Life Link meetings, you know, standard, and then we have other virtual meetings that we that are offered, you know, not by, by us, but, but you shouldn't have to go outside of it to see, you know, when this podcast gets uh, produced, it'll be in our podcast channel and, and we'll pipe that, that in fact, for you, I'll probably, if you're okay with it, create your own channel within it. So people can actually listen to all of your, your stuff, because that's, that's what we want is we want folks to continue to hear the stories of inspiration that with, from people they can relate to. Right. And that's the other challenge that I have is a lot of people that talk about recovery have never actually had to go into recovery. You know, and even these therapists, psychiatrists, I mean, you've have you ever had this? Like, have you ever had to crawl yourself out of health? And, and you know, no, you haven't, you know, not not in maybe other types of health, but not not the hell that, that, that I came out of, um, you know. It's been neat to see the community grow. It's been inspiring to see people who were living in their cars who had no money, um, actually put their families back together, uh, go back to school, get graduate degrees. I mean, we've experienced so much just in two years. Just, I mean, it's crazy all over the world too. I mean, it's like Canada, UK, Europe, Africa, US, South America, right? Addiction is not confined to the four corners of any country. It's everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and the limitations on how people get help are everywhere, too. Some countries maybe do it better than others. But I can tell you in the U.S., we have a terrible, for the capital T, ways in which we offer recovery solutions for, for the common person. If you're a net worth, high net worth, wealthy individual, you can go to these Hollywood rehabs and still not get sober, obviously. But if you don't have that means or you don't have insurance that covers it, what are your options? You know? And, and as I said before, it's not just about the, the getting recovered. It's also about building healthy lifestyle. So if you can't afford a trainer and if you can't learn how to shop a grocery store on a budget, and if you can't learn how to do meditation and you can't afford this or that, everything starts to pile up and it starts to become disheartening. So yeah. we're trying to remove that barrier, which is why it's free. You know, we're trying to remove that barrier. We bring in influencers. We bring in people that can offer workshops for free. And, 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 and give, give back something to the community. Uh, because I could tell you in the American healthcare system, again, another podcast, we're not going to solve this very easily. If you look at the population health programs that have been designed over the years, if you look at the focus on behavioral health, it's, it's really more around weight management, diabetes, hypertension. I call them the easier stuff. Nobody wants to touch the, the hard addiction stuff yet, right? They think they do, right? Well, the opioid crisis, let's, let's, let's just do medicated assisted treatment. Oh, oh, that's good. So now we'll just get everyone addicted to this box and methadone, you know, and still have to take some form of an opiate. That's, that's the third podcast we could do, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but my point is, is that, that, is that we don't offer enough resources to, to the health assessment wise. Like, let me assess you. So I don't put you on Adderall because you're falling asleep. Let me realize that, oh my God, your hormones are shot. Like, I don't even know how you're even waking up in the morning. Let's go look at those things first. 
but everything costs money you know yeah. so how to create affordability around it and access to the services that are needed to, to create that 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 wellness package for the individual afflicted with addiction but the key is virtual community i'm, I'm telling you right now i said if if, if you're lonely uh if you think you're alone you should join my lifeline. I've got hundreds of people, thousands of people that are just like you who felt alone and felt like there was nobody like them. I was one of them. You know, I literally, when I got to my, my spiritual bottom, I really didn't think there was anyone else that was dealing with what I was dealing with because my brain was incapable of even thinking that way because mm -hmm. it was so scattered and, and wasn't just the drugs or the alcohol. It was the spirituality, the defunct spirituality that just drove me insane. You know, it's like I knew I was ready in early in January of 2018 because I could feel it in my heart and I didn't feel it. It wasn't a physical symptom. It wasn't sweating or tremors or all that hell that we put ourselves through. It was actually here. And I knew that I had to do something. And for me, you know, I threw my purpose into my sons. I threw my purpose into my life link. I throw my purpose into having conversations openly with people like you to share my story. I don't have any, I will share my story anywhere. I will shout it on a mountaintop. I know a lot of people still like to keep it close to their vest, but look, I, I can't tell you how many people have come out of my professional career and my personal history that have taken my story and said, I've got the same problem I'm actually dealing with right now. I get calls all the time from people I know from my past talking about themselves and what they need help with or somebody they know all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I tell people when I'm even out in just the community, think right now of five people in your immediate family or, or the next layer who are suffering right now from some form of addiction. And every single time I see, right, it's everywhere. Yeah. Like, oh, don't we, we used to define it. Addiction is alcoholism. Addiction's everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's when you, when you want to numb your emotions, you, we, as, as human beings, will either go self-righteous or victim, you know, and, 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 and we just wanted that, that, that was a quote from my twin. I got to give him credit for that, but don't tell him because I don't want his ego to get, get good. <laughs> but it's like, those are the two, two directions you go, right? This is all about me or, oh my God, woe is me. Look what happened to me. Is that nobody, nobody wants to just address feelings and, and feelings. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Good and bad are the same thing, right? People think it's funny. People are like, well, no, bad's bad and good's good. No, it's not. If, any, if you have some bad happen to you, give it enough time and, and something good will happen. Vice versa, yeah. if you have some amazing happen, give it enough time and there's probably going to be something bad that's going to happen to you. But don't, don't have a, a gut check reaction every time something changes. So it's, uh, it's been a journey. Uh, I love what I do. I, I love the fact that, that if I can help one person, you know, and that person can turn help another person, you know, this is how we start to heal as a community, as a world. And I really do believe um, that we have not seen the worst yet. I think with this new wave of social media, and you're already seeing the suicides and you're seeing a lot of the you know, continued overdoses, fentanyl and all of those things is that is that people are going to, these younger generation is going to continue to rapidly find ways for immediate gratification. And when that doesn't happen, want to numb themselves out and and that's that's scary that's that's really really scary for for me in terms of having two young sons like what are they going to be dealt with in high school and college and post-college but the only thing i can tell you and the community is is unlike how i was brought up which was really we just don't talk about it i communicate everything 
yeah. to a T. To a and I've told all of my son's friends too, their parents, is that if there's ever a time where you want me to come share my story and talk, especially as they start to approach high school, I'm happy to do so. Because I want everyone to know that, that, that addiction doesn't choose people. It doesn't say like, I'm gonna choose you today. Addiction finds us. And, and it may not be heroin, and it may not be meth or it may not be alcohol, but it could be a behavioral addiction, which drives the same level of insanity and the same destruction to our lives, right? It, it removes our ability to have purpose and it removes yeah. the connection to a higher power. And that's what, yeah. that's what it does. Absolutely. And it, there is that strength in that community, like you talked about, right? The people that you can relate to. I know my just being able to listen to someone share their story and recognize that I have the same things. And we, at any time you talked about loneliness and I know we have to wrap things up soon. So we're going to have to do a part two. It's just as simple as that. But, um, and I do have one more question for you afterwards, but it was that, um, you know, sitting in the room, listening to others, having that community that really made a difference. And when you're alone, right? You're not actually alone. You're never, it's amazing in recovery because we can travel all over the world and have access to people who feel the same way, right? People who are doing amazing things, who are finding success in recovery. Like we're never by ourselves, right? Even when I revert back into that codependency with my partner, if I'm mm -hmm. lonely, I have anybody around the world that I can talk to at any time, right? And we can discuss these kind of things. So you mentioned one of my favorite words is purpose. And I know that my recovery changed drastically when I discovered my purpose, right? And that was to help other people master their mind so they could overcome their limiting beliefs and live authentically fulfilled lives. So I started doing these things I was passionate about and it felt absolutely incredible. Now, I know you talk a little bit about that too, um, about really finding what you're passionate about and doing it. Can you speak to that a bit before we go? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, for me, finding passion is, is, is about things that get you up in the morning, like you're, you're excited. So, so one of my big passions is coaching youth sports. I coach every sport I, I, I have an opportunity to coach. I do, I, I coach, coach high school track, you know, I give up a lot of hours of my life to this stuff, but I also have an opportunity to make an imprint on a young man or young woman's life, not just teaching them the skill of a sport, but teaching them teaching them life skills that that'll be applied. I coached uh, my seven year old under eight soccer team. And one of the parents came up to me at the end of the year in the season party last week and said, I can't thank you so much for your amazing coaching. While my kids got really, really good, much better skill. We won our, our games. It was how you talk to them about things like controlling actions, not outcomes. Like son, you don't, you never control outcomes in life. And if you think you do, let's just, let's just cut that off now, but you control action. You control what you do. And sometimes that outcome will be what you were hoping. And sometimes it won't. But, yeah. but when it's not, like you get second place, don't drink over it, right? Don't get, I mean, that's just a part of like, what could I have done differently, you know? So for me, purpose and shaping youth. Um, and honestly, at some point when I exit corporate America, I'll likely go back into teaching. You know, I, I would go back as if I was ever there. I would like to go into teaching. You know, and, and and coaching and doing that more as a as a lifestyle career. You know, for the balance of my life, uh, because it's we have opportunities to shape the next generation, and so many people don't see that. 
you know, they're so fixated in themselves and, and what they're doing. They don't realize that at some point it becomes no longer about self and becomes about self to other and then other to other, right? It's like, can I, can I shape a, a eight-year-old soccer player to in 10 years be able to have the same motivation to shape someone else? Now, I don't even need to be a part of that second one, right? Other to other. I don't have to. I did my work. And then it's the recovery piece. I, I am absolutely adamant uh, that there are there's a better way to treat addiction. There's a better way to reduce that global relapse rate from 95% in the first year to 94, to 93. I think the fact that there's always at least 10 people that suffer along with that person that's addict is a social challenge this world has, right? If you raise your hand, addict now raise your hand if you it's impacted your life in some way how many people would raise their hand and so this is no longer about just trying to find solutions for those that need to be in recovery and staying recovery it's the people around them too right yeah. uh and and it's it's from employers to healthcare professionals to family members to friends uh that that really don't need to uh, wake up one morning and, and read the newspaper and realize that so-and-so is another statistic those are the worst things like when i read that stuff or I hear about an overdose or something that's preventable, I pulls on my heart so, so greatly because I know there's a solution out there, but we have to be able to get that solution right to the individual. And that individual, unfortunately, has to be at that spiritual bottom to, to find purpose, right? This, this is why addiction is so complex. Yeah. Because if you don't have that spiritual uh, uh, bottom and you don't have purpose or you can't see the potential for purpose, and the potential to transform your life, it's really, really hard to to get out of it. And that's where relapse happens. And so uh, this is what I want to do. You know, it's, it makes me happy. You know, serving others has been such a focus of mine. Uh, ironically, growing up, I was the people pleaser, but that's not the same as serving others. In fact, most of the time I was disserving others by being a people pleaser because I wasn't authentic. Yeah. Uh, and, and now I actually have the ability to say, this isn't really about me anymore. This is about what I can do to shape since next generation and, and, and help those that are still suffering. And hopefully there's a few people that uh, will resonate with my story and our conversation and come join this family and, and work to inspire others. That's what I tell the tribe. I'll say this in closing is that I want to get you to the point where you are now inspiring somebody else to get into recovery. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so use that. If that needs to be your purpose, then use that as your purpose for now is that I yeah. want to get so recovered that I actually have the opportunity to bring someone else into recovery. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and that, that also uh, can become a huge, huge passion for anybody, right? It's the service work that we learn about um, that, that builds self-esteem, selfless acts, build self-esteem. Yeah. Amazing. Ah, oh, so much we could still unpack, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like, yeah. like I said, we'll, uh, we'll have to do an episode about relapse. Cause that's something too, that, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't want to go back there because of the life that I've created. So, um, and tell people wait for part two of our conversation. How can people get a hold of you, find the app, all that kind of fun stuff? Yeah. So just if you want to search for my life link, we're on the Apple store and Google. Uh, it's free to download. It's free to use. There's no hidden anything in there. Um, you know, like I said, there's lots of uh, lots of cool things in the app beyond just actually you know, being able to find community, virtual community. I call it the 24-7, you know, uh, somebody's always up and always ready to, to, to work with you when needed. Um, you can also go to the mylifelinkapp.com website. There's some information and content on there. But, you know, we'd love to see you. You know, we're on Instagram. 
um, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, all, all the, the usual suspects. But I'd say if there's anyone listening right now who's in uh, the throes of addiction or uh, in recovery and wants to help others, wants to build uh, an extraordinary life or knows somebody suffering, have them download the app and, and check us out. I mean, it's uh, be as totally anonymous as you want to be. Although I got to tell you, people are like open books when they join a community like this. And it's wonderful mm-hmm. to see is that, you know, they feel safe, you know, and secure that they can be their authentic self and people will get it. So it's been nice to, to kind of watch this grow over the last couple of years. Absolutely. And I'm excited myself to dig in and see what the app, I, I went into it yeah. briefly. I'm like, I really like this, everything in one place. I mean, so it's one place. I tell people like, oh, I don't have time to meditate. Well, actually you do because you can click this one little button and meditation just started. <laughs> My wife likes to remind me that. She goes, did you wake up and throw yourself into anxiety? Uh, yeah. Well, you could have meditated. I, I heard there's an app that has like meditations in there. You should try it. <laughs> Love you, <guys. laughs> That is awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on the yeah. show. I can't wait for people to hear your story. Yeah, and I appreciate your support. And I also recognize all the things that you're doing to, to help others too. And that's amazing. I wish there were more people out there like you. Well, you know, I think it's so cool that I get to connect through this platform with so many amazing people and really enjoyed speaking to Matt. I love how open he is about his story and I love what he's doing. And, you know, the reason I had to make sure this episode got posted now is because we're coming up to one of the hardest times of the year for many, many people, you know, myself included, when I was in early recovery, this is the time that I really started to struggle. And just know you're not alone. There's support out there. And, you know, check out the app. You can connect with like-minded people in recovery and that are doing amazing things. And so just know you're absolutely not alone. You can have this at your fingertips and help use this app to help you get through the tough times this holiday season. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And remember, if you haven't yet, book yourself a mindset audit session. You know, when it comes to implementing something new, it's our mindset that can often set us apart. It's our ability to learn from our mistakes and not give up when things get tough. And so many, so many people that I chat with, they think they've got a growth mindset, but then when it comes to those questions about, you know, taking a step forward, maybe knowing you're going to make a mistake, a lot of people stop. And so they are still stuck in those fixed ideas. So what are you going to do to change that? Well, first of all, you can book a mindset audit session with me and you can find out where you stand in terms of having a growth mindset or a fixed mindset and those fixed beliefs. You can head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash mindset audit. I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.